Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word and the way that you give us your truth and life in it. Lord, thank you for the way that you show us your son and the good news of salvation in him. Lord, as we come to your word now, give us attentive ears, give us understanding minds and hearts that are ready to change and grow more and more into what it looks like to be people following Jesus. We pray for his sake. Amen. Well, I wonder, as we come to this passage today that's dealing with God's people recommitting to him and living together under him, I wonder what you're expecting as you stepped into this community of God's people here. What were you expecting as you stepped into Hereford Street Baptist Church as a local gathering of Christians, of people in community under God? Were you expecting to come in, maybe to sit in the corner if you could? Hopefully no one talks to you. Hopefully you can get out without anyone talking to you. Were you expecting to come in and catch up with some of your best friends to enjoy some good food and then head out? Were you coming in with grief or with dread? Were you coming in excited? Were you coming in expecting to be encouraged by God's word with his people? Whether it's an expectation that was low or high, sad or excited, I think the passage this morning is going to help us as we consider what it will look like for us to keep growing as a community that's committed to God and his word. It's a community that's offering ourselves up in wholehearted service of Jesus. The community that it celebrates joyfully all God has done through history and what he continues to do now. And as we start to consider this passage, we really need to step back at the end of last week's passage that Daryl brought us to see what's going on. If you remember from last week, the people gathered together. They confessed their sins, their nation's sins. And then after hearing God's word again for hours, they joined in praying together as they remembered and praised God for his faithfulness through hundreds of years to his promises, his great mercy in the midst of their unfaithfulness again and again for hundreds of years. They remembered God's goodness and their people's wickedness. They remembered God's faithfulness and their people's unfaithfulness that led to judgment and exile that they'd only just come out of. And at the end of all of this, as God had pierced their hearts through his law, by his word, and helped them see what it would look like to live under him, they decide that they're going to commit in covenant with him again at the end of the chapter. They're committing together to God. Chapter 9, verse 38 
says that because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes and Levites and our priests. And it's this covenant that they're making, starting with their leaders, that's the start of the passages for this morning. This is a covenant that means it's a commitment and promises that form the relationship between the two sides, between God and his people. It's how they'll live together. It's how they'll maintain their relationship together. And in this first chapter, chapter 10, we see everyone committing to it and then what that commitment looks like later on. First 27 verses have names of leader after leader that's standing up to sign this document of all the things that they're promising together as his people. It starts right from the top with Nehemiah and Zedekiah, and then there's priests and Levites and chiefs that are representing all the different families. And so from these leaders downwards, you have a picture of all of God's people represented by the leaders that they follow. Everyone committing to this covenant. And if there's any doubt that it's everyone, the next verse, in verse 28, tells us that it's also the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding. It's everyone committing to this covenant under God. Every role and stage and status in society, every man and woman and child, it's even people from the other nations, the Gentiles, who have been brought in, who have said no to their old false gods and have said yes to the one true God of Israel who alone is mighty and faithful and true. Everyone together is committing again to God. The rest of the chapter then shows us that they're committing to something really big. Verse 29 gives us this picture. They enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. They're committing to everything. Whole of God's people, everyone, are committing to all of God's word together. No more compromises. No more sidetracks. No more turning to another God, to another people for help. Faithfulness to their God living under him and him alone, obedience to all he says. And yet, there's four groups, I think, of extra commitments they make from verse 30 to 39 that go on top of this. And you might wonder, what's the point of including these really specific things if they're already saying, yep, we're going to do it all, and we're going to listen to all of the scripture we have before and everything God said from Moses to the the priests, to the kings, to the prophets, everyone. And yet I think 
through these specific commitments, they're showing their desire for faithfulness and holiness in ways that had got them astray so many times in the past. In this picture before of them being unfaithful, it's really a picture of them repenting, of them turning from their sin and unfaithfulness and unholiness and turning to God again. And in these particular ways, showing that they want to be his faithful people, his holy people, his set-apart people once again. The first one is not intermarrying in verse 30 with people from the other nations, whether taking in or, or sending out. This has always been a problem for God's people. They're meant to be set apart as God's holy nation who declares his glories to those around them. But so often they've mixed around with people. They've brought in people faithful to other gods. They've sent out people and they've been assimilated into these other nations. They're to be ones that are holy and set apart. Remember King Solomon, who was great and wise beyond anyone else. And yet, as he married people from nations unfaithful to the Lord, this unfaithfulness seeped into him more and more. Even marrying them in the first place was a bad sign, and yet his faith and devotion to God crumbles more and more. And this happened again and again and again through the history of God's people. They want to say no to this from the family level throughout the whole community and be faithful without compromise to him again. Verse 31 is about faithfulness to the Sabbath and the requirements for a Sabbath year. This commandment to rest and devote themselves to God is something they want to trust him in, to show their devotion to him again, to show that they trust him in all their business needs, their provisions for the supplies of the family. They're not going to try to get ahead as these people from other nations come in and offer things for sale. They're going to trust God that he will give them all they need. Next happens in 32 and 33 as the temple supplies and the provisions for the people working for God and the provisions for the atoning sacrifice that makes right relationship between the people and God. Again, they want to keep being faithful to these. I think there's also a picture of holiness here in the idea that currently the nation above them seems to have been offering supplies for them to keep worshipping. And yet this was a nation that did not worship the true God. They want to be set apart, not depending on others for their worship and for the things that they supply. They want to be ones that are supplying all that's needed to be faithful in their community and maintain this relationship with his people. And finally, verses 34 and 39, they're filled with tithes and offerings things that the people continually would stop giving back in the past. And this concern for the house of their God, the temple, that they no longer wanted to neglect. This seems a picture of holy worship. 
of trust that they're going to worship God with their best things, their first things, recognizing that God gave them to them in the first place. No longer sacrificing to other gods, giving their best to other nations, but giving their best in worship of their Lord. This morning, as we think about this and how we can reflect on this as a community of God's people, I think we're still called to this sort of formal commitment together to living under God's word. And that together word is key. Last week, as Dow was talking about sin and the way that as Aussies, we tend to think of it individually. It's my sin, or maybe your sin, if it's going to affect me. But no, in Israel's picture in chapter 9, they were remembering the sin of their nation, of their ancestors, this big collective picture of sin. And I think we do the same with commitment. We think what matters most is my personal heart for Jesus. But we are called to not just as individual saved sinners to be loved, forgiven, saved by him. We're called into a community, his body. We're called to live together in commitment together under him and his word as our authority. I think we're just as bad of thinking about the sense of corporate, together commitment. This is one of the reasons why when someone becomes a Christian and wants to be baptised, we want them to share what God has done in turning them from death to life in the Lord Jesus and this commitment together and us committing to them. Because as God's people... It's a commitment we make together under him. As his people drawn together in the new covenant of Jesus' blood, we're still doing the same. We do this in our growth groups. We could just give everyone in the church personal Bible study material, and we do actually with some of the Explore devotionals, but we actually want people to join together and read God's word together and be formed and shaped by it together because we think that it's a together commitment that we have as his people. The most formal way that we do this here is membership. And I think particularly as Aussies or as Queenslanders, we're casual people. We don't like forms or signing things or obligations. And yet rather than a picture of being something dull or archaic or lifeless, I think membership into a local church is like this picture here, this picture where you're going, yes, this is a group of people who are committing together to live under God and his word as people saved by the Lord Jesus, committing to each other, committing to their leadership, committing to support each other, to meet all the needs of the community here, committing to live under God's mission together of proclaiming Christ and making disciples. If you've been coming to church for a while and you're not a member, why not take today to consider whether this is something that you'll join into, this 
beautiful thing of joining together in community of God's people, committing to living together under his word in following Jesus side by side. As we move to our second part of the passage today, we start to see these people filling this city. This goes from chapter 11 all through to part of chapter 12. And it's all these people being chosen to enter into the city, to fill it out once again. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 11 say that now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. It might seem a bit weird at first that they're being drawn out and chosen, and yet they're willingly offering themselves. And I think it's a picture that goes together. All the people who are sitting now in faithful community under God's word, they're all there ready. And though it's rolled or cast as lots, any of them are willing to go if they're chosen. But I think that that 10% part is meant to make us think of a tithe or an offering. It's meant to make us think of these people who have come from the surrounds to once again rebuild the city and set it up, are willing to be offered sacrificially in service of God and his people in this place. A city that was bombed out, destroyed, terrible, that would make people weep, and that even with new walls and gates now, it's a far cry from what it used to be. And it's a long way from where people's livelihoods were set up, where their families once used to call home before the exile. And yet they're willingly offering themselves to fill this place. We've got lots of the same groups again that are entering into here. And notice this time that They've all groups with different jobs. There's chiefs, there's valiant men, probably those that are protecting the city. There's rulers and priests and Levites and people singing and playing instruments, gatekeepers, temple servants, even an advisor to the king. And outside, there's all these villages that seem mainly connected to the tribe of Benjamin, and there's Levites that are assigned to them too. That keeps going into the next chapter. Chapter 12, verse 1 to 26, show the line of priests, starting with those who first came out of the exile through to now. All of these even have different roles of chief priests and others. After the walls and gates are rebuilt and the people have been reformed and recommitted in faithfulness to God, they've now filled the city. They're offering themselves up to him in service of him and his people. They're there, and they're about to celebrate. But first, how does this feeling affect us now? We're here differently. We weren't here from the role of a die. We're here because we were chosen by Jesus. He, before the beginning of the world, chose his people. He brought us into these doors. 
he's formed us as a community around him. We're not a physical Jerusalem. We're like a spiritual one that he has put us into and called us into to offer ourselves all of our being in response to what he's done in service of him and his people. As we think about what this looks like for us, I wonder what it would look like for you if as you stepped into the church door next week and in the weeks to come, that if you thought of yourself as an offering for God in service of him and his people, if you thought of yourself in all that you are, all that you do, the possessions you have, all the stuff that goes on in your life, as someone ready to serve him in the midst here. All of us made differently, all of us with things we prefer, all of us with things that we're better at and worse at, and yet all of us committed and offering ourselves up to the mission of the church of proclaiming Christ and making disciples. How might that look different for you as you step into the door? If you imagine yourself as someone who's entering in, committed to living under God's word together and offering yourself up in service of him and his people. Now we get to the last section of this morning, to this part from halfway through chapter 12, from verse 27 to 47, of these people celebrating all of God's work as they dedicate the walls. Take a look at verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And there's more that come in verses 28 and 29 with singers um, from different places. And finally in verse 30, the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. They're all ready to celebrate. The walls have been rebuilt. They've been recommitted to God. They've filled the city. It's party time. And yet, this picture of purification is reminding them of the need for holiness, of who they are as people celebrating God's work. They are God's chosen people, set apart, holy, to live under him and his words faithfully. They're not to celebrate like the other nations would in drunkenness, in orgies, in anything dishonoring to the Lord. They're coming seriously as God's holy people set apart and ready to celebrate with great joy and thanksgiving. They're not forgetting who they've seen the need to be in these last couple of chapters. And so then the celebration starts. There's two choirs. One goes to the south, one to the north. They're both filled with singers and musicians, and they're making so much noise that in verse 43, after offering sacrifices and God making them rejoice with great joy, that this joy was heard far away from the city. 
this joy of praises of everything God has done from beginning till now, of his faithfulness, of his mercy. Sounds like there's people for miles hearing the goodness of the God of Israel. When I come to church on a Sunday, if I come during music practice from, you know, a fair few meters away, I can hear the singing and the guitar, and that's pretty good. But imagine a whole city declaring the praises of the Lord who has done this, who is the Lord we know still today. A whole city being what they were designed to be, set apart and distinct, and yet a beacon declaring the greatness of God to all around them. It's this wonderful picture. And then finally, in the last bit of this chapter, which really fits into the next section, I think, there's still an idea of joyful giving. As the people recognize with joy the place of temple servants and others that needed provision for all the work that they did, and then faithfully giving, and faithfully giving for an entire generation. The end of chapter 12, you can't help but think that this is a high point of God's people, and this feels like it's a great place to end the book. And yet there's still a chapter left. We'll hear more next week of how the book doesn't end so happily. And yet you can get an idea already of how this could happen, right? This is a beautiful picture of what's happening. And yet, remember chapter 9. God's people were unfaithful again and again and again. They turned from God again and again and again. They turned back and forward and back and forward. And what's any different this time? By the time Jesus comes a few hundred years later... The leaders are corrupt. The people are corrupt. They're not hearing the word taught properly. The temple is a mess. It feels like it's all in ruins again. What's to stop this happening again for us? Well, as we consider celebrating together today, we celebrate that God, through his son Jesus has turned this situation around. We no longer fear tomorrow being out of his love and mercy. Because if we are believers in Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, he has lived in full obedience to God. He has fulfilled all the law. He has done all that is needed through his sacrificial death, to bring forgiveness and lasting forgiveness. We can celebrate the good news of Jesus as we gather together in our day-to-day lives that through faith in him, all people, Jew and Gentile from everywhere, can enjoy salvation life in the community he draws us into. We celebrate this on Sundays, don't we, as we sing. As we sing to God and we sing to each other. We celebrate this as we hear stories up the front, as we pray at the front, as we hear God's word, as we gather together in our growth groups, 
We celebrate it as we remember birthdays and anniversaries, as God's faithfulness across years in a new life. These are all great things to celebrate. And I think one way that we can grow in the way we celebrate as a church is in our conversations and our interactions with one another on Sundays and during the week. Sometimes it's really easy to come out from the church building celebrating the good news of Jesus and all God has done through history, through the salvation of each and every one here and go into the hall and celebrate lesser things. Celebrate good things but not the greatness of all God's done. How about as God's people we celebrate times like we remember us growing in knowing and loving Jesus from his words. Or times we might remember Spence or Bruce or Sharon growing in faithfulness and love of the Lord Jesus. Celebrating chances we've had to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people. Celebrating God at work in bringing people on a Sunday, whether they know him or not. Celebrating when people accept invites for community dinner and suddenly meet a whole community of God's people and praying that they might join it on a Sunday to come. These are all things that we can celebrate as we share together. Not just sharing the everyday things of our lives, but sharing the great things that God has been at work in as he's transforming us more and more by his spirit as he speaks to us from his words. Let's pray now as we need his help in all of this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the Lord Jesus, though we are unfaithful people, through faith we have complete forgiveness and salvation. And thank you that you don't just do this to us as individuals, but you draw us together as a community that's committed to you together, that offers ourselves up together in service of you and each other. Lord, help us to be people that celebrate this, that celebrate all that you've done in each one of our lives and in those that we don't know yet. Help us to be ones that celebrate all that Jesus accomplished and is accomplishing now and will accomplish until he returns to bring us to be with you in glory with all your people forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.